Hello, welcome back to On Connection. There are many demands of senior leadership, some you expect as you grow through your career and observe the leaders you're exposed to. Some, however, become obvious by living it, things that weren't taught or explicitly developed in you along the way. Speaking as a younger professional, a 30-something that can now say she has an established quote-unquote career, but not having experienced that top tier of leadership, I do think it's easy for those downstream, so to speak, to assume that leaders should have everything together, (laughs) that they should have the answers and be able to confidently declare direction, and that they should be aware of all the nuances and variables across the organization. But as is mentioned in this episode, what gets elevated to senior leaders isn't the easy stuff. It's often the complex, messy, challenging things that others couldn't solve or resolve on their own. It's hard conversations and tough calls and sometimes having to be the bearer of disappointing news, as I'm sure many leaders are feeling right now given downsizing and layoffs occurring in many organizations. Leaders are, however, just human beings. They don't develop a superpower with their last promotion that allows them to be omniscient and well-adjusted and completely competent at all the things a leader could or should be. They have good days and bad days. They have personal lives that draw on their emotional bandwidth. They have bad nights of sleep and get sick. And amidst all that normal human stuff, they get handed the tough stuff. They also have many eyes on them, ready to assess whether they're doing the right things or the wrong things. They have a high amount of influence, and if you've been around for a while, you'll know that we say we're all influencing all the time, whether we're aware of it or not. That influence isn't always purposeful. We're influencing on those good days and on those bad days, which means leaders bear a weight of emotional responsibility. Emotional leadership is not something most leaders are taught. How to be a human being navigating all the pressures of life while taking responsibility for how our emotions impact others and impact the efforts we care to help succeed. That's a tough gig. Mickey and Robin have coached and partnered with executives from organizations across industries and around the world, and they felt that this topic, of all topics, was uniquely worth spending some time on. What does it mean to practice emotional leadership? How does that show up for the most senior leaders of organizations? And what can that teach the rest of us, those that work for them or aspire to one day be in their shoes? So no matter your position, your aspirations, or your level of experience, we hope you enjoy and get value out of today's conversation, all about the charge of emotional leadership. Hello, and welcome to On Connection. I am joined today by Robin and Mickey once again, and we are going to talk about something that feels quite relevant to the experience of the week. I don't know who else has had a challenging first full week back to start the year of 2024 off, but here we are, which is the topic is the unique challenges of senior leadership, but specifically as it relates to emotional agility. So we were talking about how important it is for leaders to be conscious of their emotional leadership. 
And I'm curious as we get that conversation started, what's present for both of you that you would want to tee up for the listeners about why this felt like an important thing for us to talk about today? I might just invite everybody that's listening to just think for a moment about a meeting that you've been in where a leader walks in in a particularly negative mood and how you feel in that moment. I think we've all had that experience of you're sitting there, everybody's chit-chatting in some form or fashion, whether it's on Zoom or in person, and a senior leader walks in in a bad mood, negative mood. And what's just the feeling that overcomes that room in that moment? Because I, I, I don't think I'm alone in both being on the giving and receiving end of that in my career. The opposite is also true, by the way. If somebody walks in in a really great mood and what that can do for a room. For today, we're going to talk about the particular challenges of managing the, the negative moods because the good moods are usually not as hard to have to manage as the more negative moods. The reason, Emrose, I care about this so much is I think the more senior your leadership position, the more likely you are to confront difficulty. You know, one of the things we talk about relative to CEOs, for instance, is the problem that make it to, makes it to the CEO is not the easy one. <laughs> you know, the easy ones are solved by other people, and the CEO gets to find out and be glad that he or she knows. But I think the more senior the position, the more likely you are to have disappointment, uh, difficulty, controversy, be a challenge to your emotional leadership. And because of that, I think the senior leaders is responsible for being an emotional leader, especially when times are tough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things for me inside of that, Mickey, is that those times that are tough... <laughs> For the senior leader, there's also often a lot of variety still happening moment to moment. So you'll have one moment that's tough and the next that requires celebration or appreciation and the next that requires a really challenging decision. And that, and so there's so much variety in it as well that you you really can't afford to wallow, right? Like you can't, there's not those <laughs> moments of like, I'm just going to have a terrible, God awful day and like, that's just going to be the thing. Um, there was a book about that years and years ago that Mary Reinishek used to quote, and I'll have to go back and see if I can find it, but about like the just terrible, awful day. And that mo that's not really afforded folks at a senior leadership level because there's so many different people depending on you for different things. And I think that's one of the unique challenges is that you have to figure out what's what does this moment actually call for and how do I be authentic in that moment? And that challenge of how do I be authentic, that's really an interesting question. Uh, as you both know, because I mentioned it earlier, I was recently in a conversation with a, a CEO who I admire, who I think is actually effective at the demands of emotional leadership on a global company CEO. 
and we were in a conversation with somebody else who's a very senior leader there. And I could hear in the conversation that the idea of you have to be different things for different people in different situations and different audiences. And that can be from this 15 minutes to that hour to this next two hour thing. And they're all completely different demands on your emotional agility. And that it can feel to people like that means you're living as a fake. Because mm -hmm. I just left the ugly, terrible meeting and I'm honestly in an ugly, terrible mood. And I don't like people, especially the ones I just left. And I walk into the next place. Now I'm supposed to act like I'm all positive because here's supposed to be an acknowledgement meeting for some of our highest producers. Well, that would be dishonest. That's why I am an enemy of the phrase, fake it till you make it. So, Robin, when you're talking about authenticity, what are you thinking when mm -hmm. you're saying you can actually meet that challenge authentically, not as a fake? I think for me, what I'm thinking about is what is called for in my leadership now in this moment with these people, given this particular set of circumstances. And those circumstances probably have changed radically from top of the last hour to top of this hour. So how do I be really connected with and present to what's called for now? And what's my release mechanism for whatever the mood was that I had before? Because I think that's the what where the fake it part comes is you've got to figure out what's the appropriate release mechanism. So we were kidding earlier. I yesterday got on a call and said to the team at large, I was grumpy because I was. I woke up grumpy. It was an internal meeting. It was an internal team. For me, I thought it was important for them to know I wasn't grumpy with them. I woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I'm human. All of us have those days. And it was a way for me to release that and not have people make up a story. Anybody who has not met me, my I have zero poker face. So when I am uh, annoyed about anything. I wear it on my face and I have given up trying to fix fix that because I, I don't know how. I, it's part of my charm is that you know where you stand with me. So I needed to be able to say to folks like, I know I'm grumpy and it's, you didn't, it's nothing here. It's not this topic. It's not these people. It's not even anything to do with the team. I didn't sleep well. And that was sort of, sort of it. However, had that been a client that would not have been the move to make different audience, different responsibilities, different relationship to me, different accountability on my end. However, with an internal team, that was, I think, I don't know, Mickey, you were there. I think it was an okay move to make. It actually freed everybody to laugh at me for a moment, which is always yeah. a moment of joy for our team. <laughs> you know, it was really effective and it's really important to get, you move from that and you did into client conversations that that would not have been appropriate in that moment. So the idea that authenticity is related to uh, timing, I think, is really important. Mm -hmm. Like who you're with, what's your promise being in that room? So if this global CEO is going to now meet with stock analysts immediately following the report of the quarterly earnings, that's a completely different 
audience with different needs from that CEO. In the background audience are all the stockholders who hope that she or he is with the analysts in a way that's uh, serving the stockholders' interests. Uh, that's different than a conversation that that CEO might have with her board about what's going on. Is one of them honest and the other's dishonest? No. They're appropriate to the different purposes and concerns that are in the conversation. I think the emotional agility and emotional responsibility are actually crucial and underappreciated mandates for a senior leader. And I think the first thing, Robin, you were just demonstrating is can you be consciously noticing what is the mood I'm bringing to what I'm in right now? Because I've seen some senior leaders, including CEOs, who just walk into a room and it's everybody else's problem, whatever mood they're in. Mm -hmm. And I've been in a lot of places where in the senior environment, in the office, you hear people going, well, what kind of mood is he in today? When you've got people asking that question, that leader is not responsible emotionally. They're making it everybody else's problem instead of emotional agility is not dishonest. It's actually being of service appropriate to the nature of your position. And learning how to make that shift authentically, I think, is huge. And it starts one, with being able to see it, to notice it, and then name it for yourself. So you name that grumpy, you know. <laughs> but also, a lot of times you can just do that yourself and take a breath and let it go. And we've worked with a lot of leaders on that. You know, we have presence and breathing exercises, mindfulness exercises, where you can actually let go of an emotional state. You also need to have an outlet if you can't. You know, I don't know if you remember... Robin, I'm not going to name the client, but we had a really big contract where we were working in groups of 25 with 12,000 leaders all over the world for a Fortune 10 company to meet a particular set of challenges. And we knew that the emotional environment people came into the room in because it was a company going through drastic change and not all of that was easy for people. We knew it was going to be emotionally challenging. And so for the team, we had a manager from that company plus a member of Conversant who were leading these conversations around the world. And we put in place what we call ditch patrols. <laughs> Do you remember ditch patrol? <laughs> I tell people about ditch patrol now. I think it's such a smart thing. <laughs> Which is, if you get into a moment in there where it goes off the rails and you are not immediately and obviously ready to get it back on the rails. Here's an exercise you can put people in, and here's who you call. So there was somebody who was always on ditch patrol. You know, so Robin, if she saw, oh, this thing just went in the ditch, she could put them in a paired chair and just say, please debrief for yourself. What happened in the last 10 minutes? And what do you think we should learn from it? And then she goes out and calls Juan because Juan's <laughs> on ditch patrol. <laughs> and it's what you referred to earlier is what's your outlet? You know, what's the place? So I think part of the job of the senior leader is to know where are my outlets if I can't just take a breath and let it go? Mm -hmm. And you know, I have a friend who once called it 
every senior leader needs to have in spirit their personal board of directors. Like, who is it that I trust so completely and have proven that in my life that I can go to them in whatever condition I'm in, get their reactions, their support, and then go back and be whatever the next moment requires of me. So I think the presence that it takes to be able to name it, that's the first move. Then the next challenge is let it go. Well, sometimes you can just get good at breathing exercises that you just let it go. But also if that doesn't work, what's your outlet for doing it? To be able to go into the next conversation cleaned up, <laughs> you know, in the in the mood that that requires. So I think emotional agility being confused with fakery mm. is, it's a barrier to people getting good at it. And I think even, you know, for s sometimes the let it go for me is insufficient. I have to, because I can't stop doing a thing. I have to start doing a different thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So sometimes the let it go is what what's actually needed. Can I get really clear about what does this group need from me in this moment? OK, because it just gives my gives me a different place to go as opposed to stop being grumpy. <laughs> right. I don't know, that doesn't work for me. It doesn't work all that well. But start, you know, start being energized about the possibility if that's what the meeting is about. The one yesterday was, can we get reconnected to some reflection on something that happened in the past, right? So me being grumpy wasn't going to help us actually get reconnected to that um, as an example. Well, I also think that it's really helpful when you move from being present to whatever mood I'm in and noticing that that's not particularly helpful to what I'm about to step into. There could be different ways of recovering that. One of that's it is... Right. Let it go. Another really important one is, is what you just said about the timing question. What's it time for now for me to contribute with these right. people in this situation? i tell you one that's always worked really well for me, which is to stop, take a breath, and ask myself the question, what's the mood I want everybody to be in at the end of this next interaction? Like, what is it I'm hopeful for? People walk out in what kind of mood? So let's say I want them to feel uh, confident, honorable, and focused. All right, my job is to go into the room being confident, honorable, and focused. So whatever the emotional end state is, if you're the most influential leader in the room, that's your emotional beginning state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that helps but, me migrate to the right frame of mind. What I'm thinking about is you guys are uh, sharing all that is um, the generational listening or perspective on this. And I, I anticipate that while we're talking about current senior leaders, eventually millennials and well there are millennials that are already senior leaders but you know gen z is gonna eventually be vying for senior leadership of organizations and i do think that there is an emotional agility edge that could be developed earlier rather than waiting until you're a senior leader and i 
think there's going to be a unique challenge for that group, given what I observe right now, which is that I think there's been an increase in with the internet, social media, people being able to share their version of pop psychology or <laughs> emotional rehabilitation or, you know, personal development. And I, I, I don't know that everybody knows this, but before I came to Converse and I was studying psychology and studying to become a therapist. And so then coming from that world also, it's just interesting the differences in how people approach managing your emotions because so much of that space and so much of what's being shared right now with the younger generations and owned, and I think a lot of you senior leaders are being challenged by this right now, is this, my emotional experience is valid and how I'm feeling deserves to be acknowledged and I shouldn't, I shouldn't put that to the side. I need to honor how something is affecting me. And so I, I think there is a, an interesting focus for people about how can you acknowledge the emotional state that you're in and let it go without invalidating it. So it's not about you shouldn't feel that way, I can't feel that way, and I'm never going to address why I feel that way. It's in this conversation, that emotional expression is not valuable. And so can I hold that bookmark it for another time? Because we're, we're not saying just sweep it under the rug and never come back to it. Our emotions are telling us there's something that's really important to us. And so I think that is what gets missed in some of the pop psychology is that it's not that your emotions are always right or accurate or that you are the deserving one of having that experience in the situation. It's what can I, what information is there for me to gather from that emotional experience? And then what does that have me do differently? But it might not be relevant or helpful for the next conversation you're heading into. And so can you be present to the impact of your emotions on whatever that conversation is going to be? And the other thing that um, has been present for me recently is I don't think, to, so Robin, to your point about saying that to an internal team, I I would imagine that it's true for senior leaders as well, but we tend to be closer to the true expression of whatever emotional state we're in with people that we trust or people that we know have our best interests at heart or tend to see things from our point of view or you know, that we have generally healthy relationships with. But if you are in a position of relative power to that person or influence, I wouldn't take for granted the impact it can have on that person, even if they are very, a very trusting, reliable person. So to your point about ditch patrol, are you always putting things in one person's ditch? And can you be <laughs> conscious of how that might affect them and their day and how they're seeing the relationships and situations in the organization. Um, and that doesn't mean you can't go to them. It just means being available to acknowledging the impact of what you're sharing with them, both emotionally or if you're actually telling them what's going on with you. 
well, there's a couple I'm, things in what you just said, Emrose. I think <laughs> really bear appreciation. One of them is, oh yeah, why do we wait until we're a senior leader to confront this? It's actually good for anybody who cares about causing something great to happen, even when you're not in your greatest mood. Uh, so I I think that's really important. I also think there's something else in there that it's worth us exploring in this conversation, which is the difference between looking at myself as an individual who needs to be emotionally responsible and looking at it like a member of community being emotionally responsible. Because I'm looking at what the community needs from me right now. I think that's a call that's more supportive of my emotional agility than if I'm just trying to be better as a person. So Robin, you were just going to say... Well, I was going to say, you know, MROs, both of those um, uh, examples that you just gave are being responsible for, am I about to infect someone with my mood who doesn't deserve that? Mm -hmm. Right. So I can have an experience. My mood is and how my emotions and how I'm feeling right now could be absolutely totally legitimate but if we keep remember remem reminding ourselves that moods are contagious they literally somebody else is going to catch that mood am i having am i expressing that ex that emotion to the to an audience that is actually can help me with it, it and is going to do something with it? Or is it just uh, like, I need to air it and now I feel better, but I've gotten my emotion and mood all over you. And now you have to carry that through the day is I think an unfair thing. And when we talk about leadership who has positions of power, it really is very easy to walk into a meeting and infect the entire room with the mood that you have unintentionally and irresponsibly in ways that then and then expect them to have to go through their day. So now I feel better, but you all feel worse. Not helpful. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it makes me think that, you know, I think about the times that I'm also like Robin, that I wear my emotions on my face and there's just no getting past that. I mean, unless I went and got a massive amount of Botox in my face, I don't think <laughs> that it would be possible for people to not read whatever emotional state I'm in. So a gift and a curse. Um, but I think of the times for myself and others when I'm committed to being in a bad mood. <laughs> no, I will not turn my frown upside down. Don't tell me to smile. I am not in a good mood today. I think usually that is a product of subconsciously feeling I deserve to be seen in this emotional state. But does this group of people need to see you? Or do you need to think about <laughs> who's the person? Because I would imagine usually that's a person or a, some constellation of people. And it might actually be a signal of pretense. Mm -hmm. like a a delayed a late a late signal <laughs> of pretense or something is just what's coming to mind I kind of want to think noodle on that after this but um so I, I you know I don't know what the stop mechanism is for people the pause and going you know maybe it is a deep breath but when you're really really deeply entrenched and committed <laughs> to that mood i don't you know I, i'm curious what's worked for you both in terms of 
seeing a the walk. seeing yourself. Yeah, <laughs> a like, walk. A some, walk. Some, okay. Something right. Like it, for me, it really is like I have to decide: Am I just going to stay committed to being annoyed and pissed off at somebody in this moment, or and is that? And there are days, honestly, where the answer is yes. Like I'm just going to stay there. But there are others where it's like, no, I can't. I can't actually afford that right now, and neither can the rest of the work that has to happen. Yeah, I think the difference between my individual emotional intelligence and social intelligence comes to bear here. Mm -hmm. And I actually learned that distinction from Daniel Goldman when I had the chance to work with him a few years ago. And I think the work he did on social intelligence may be the best thing that he's ever done. I know emotional intelligence is the original work became the thing that had this grab in the world as words that we say a lot. But in social intelligence, he's actually talking about community as the source of your ability to be emotionally agile. And I think the notion of what is there for me to contribute is a really powerful way to authentically occupy a new emotional state. You know, who's counting on me and for what? Because you don't get into positions of senior leadership without some call to contribute. And there's very few people that get there, regardless of all the jaundiced and negative feelings we have about, oh, they just want a bigger paycheck. Not for most human beings. They step into those senior roles, hoping to make a senior kind of difference. Mm -hmm. And so I think this focus on contribution is really helpful. But I want to back up and say a couple of things I've seen over the years, some very courageous senior leaders do that really refine your ability to be emotionally agile. So I'm going to give you two different examples. And if anybody on here really takes this on, I would love for you to report back to me. <laughs> You can get to me through the website. I would love to hear how this goes because most people are not um, going to take this on. But the few I know who have said it was remarkably transformational. So here's the two different things. So one executive I know took on, I'm going to give up being a critic for the next 30 days. Like whatever I deal with, and this is a CEO of a large company. And he knew that when he was criticizing people, that it left them more disabled than enabled. You know, so that's something that he was confronting. So we agreed that he was going to take on giving up the right to criticize for the next 30 days. And the discipline was notice when he, that feeling of wanting to tell him what's wrong with them and what they did and what he's disappointed in and leaving them with his judgmental disapproval. The first thing is he had to get good at noticing that coming and then stop and take a breath and say, how do I genuinely deal with what's in front of me? And yet there's no criticism in it. And he said, that's actually what caused the transformation, having to keep look at I can't step over. I'm not going to ignore it. I'm not going to act like what there is. What this particular person said that he, he really got out of this is he had believed about himself he was not a good teacher. 
And he said what he found in 30 days, that when he gave up being a critic, he actually was learning to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. That those moments were an occasions for him to help somebody perform better rather than just criticize their poor performance. And somebody who'd gotten to that level of success and still being willing and able to question themselves like that was inspiring to me. So that's one idea. You take on as a very senior leader who has the right to criticize all over the place and people have to listen when you do, I'm going to give up being a critic for 30 days. Notice it, have to give yourself what's another way to genuinely deal with what's in front of me that doesn't have a shred of criticism in it. So that's one. There's another one that you both know I've been talking about recently, which is, okay, I'm going to give up the right to be offended for the next 30 days. (laughs) And the first thing is you have to notice here it comes. I'm feeling offended and how dare you and you can't think that about me or say that about me or can you catch that? And then stop and take a breath. What mood, other than offense, can I honestly bring to the next thing? And one of the people I know who took that one on seriously, again, a very senior leader in a huge position in a global company, and she said what she kept getting to is to give up being offended what she found she had to move to was being curious. Just tell me what you're seeing that had you just say that, or tell me what's going on I may not know about that explains why you think that or feel that, or what, that she said the place to go that she didn't expect, what kept coming up to her is what I could do in this moment if I'm gonna abdicate being offended. Would just be curious because she said that was the only way I could. I had to discover some other way to be. Well, what's the way that I could discover? Well, by being curious. So she said her big lesson was any moment that she was offended, she began to see she could replace that with curiosity and then learn something that then gave her a different response. So that's just two examples. But if anybody listening to us would actually pick one of those, I'm going to take 30 days where I give up the right to criticize. Or I'm going to take 30 days. I give up the right to be offended. What do I do? I notice the emergence of being critical or the emergence of being offended. Stop and take a breath and ask myself, how can I connect with this moment and step over nothing in any way available to me as a human being other than being offended (laughs) or other than being critical? Mick, I love both of those as potential because I I think at the heart of both of them, and Amorosis goes back to the like, am I committed to, to this mood? Is it's a moment of am am I having an emotion or is it having me? <laughs> right, and so it sort of forces the like wh- who who's actually. <laughs> Who's actually controlling the show here right now and gives me a moment of choice? I, mm-hmm. I think there's another thing, Emrose, I want to go back to something you said about the armchair psychologists out there that might be saying, like, there's so much out there right now about, like, right, and s- speaking about your emotions and the power of that and the importance of that. I think as a leader, the other really hard thing is that you can use that to superficially connect with people 
in mm-hmm. a, and Mickey, you and I have known some people in the past, right? That use sort of like an emotional response to something as a way to gain sort of a connection to people that's actually false or manipulative in a way in the moment, right? Like if you think about, if I think about it, gossip is a form of that, mm-hmm. right? Or I'm, I'm annoyed with somebody or frustrated about a thing. And instead of going and talking about that, I'm going to talk about the, the thing that's happened to me in this moment and how, how I feel is legitimate. My feelings are legitimate in this moment. It's not wrong. It's just not talking to the person that I need to talk to. And it may gain me some sway with you because I'm talking to you and you feel now like you're in my inner circle to have been in that conversation, but it's not actually creating the value that it needs to in the organization. And the more senior you are in the organization, those things that were really easy to say, at lunch or over coffee or at the bar, you really have to be much more responsible for. They might feel like a moment of connection, but I don't. I think it's actually a false version of connection because it's actually trying to use my emotion to get you to see something the way I see something. So I mm. think that's the only other thing just to be on the lookout for is like, am I saying this thing because I want you to agree with I was wronged in that moment, as opposed to am I actually saying it to the person who who I think did offend me? And am I having that kind of a conversation? Mm-hmm. You know, did you say, am I, you didn't quite say it this way, but what I was hearing is, am I the author of the emotions I'm in? Mm-hmm. Are the emotions I'm in the author of me? Mm-hmm. Uh I think that's a really potent inquiry right there. That can I actually shift an emotional state and do that honestly and honorably? Mm-hmm. Because it's what the moment requires of me. Um, I do think there's a lot of emotional manipulation that goes on mm-hmm. that you just remind me of, Robin, where... Uh, I'm going to get somebody to feel sorry for me, or I'm going to get, mm-hmm. is that emotion actually going to strengthen us or make something great happen or make, you know, mm-hmm. so getting it back in the context of contribution, like what for you as a senior leader is yours to contribute? What's yours to give that others need to get? Mm-hmm. And what mood catalyzes that gift and what mood interferes with it? Yeah. So, I, I just think it's a challenging question. Can I be the author of my emotions rather than the victim of them? Mm-hmm. But if we don't live in the question and look at how can I do that? Stepping over nothing, avoiding nothing. But actually step in and find a different emotional state that's got more power. Because if I don't start noticing and stop giving myself permission to have undisciplined emotions then there's no field of play to explore what does it mean to actually author an emotion, to be able to get myself to shift from annoyed to curious, for instance. Well, I think what's um, out of both of what you're both saying, um, interesting to call out is, you know, we hear so often this idea that leaders should show vulnerability. And I think that... You know, Brene Brown being the queen of this body of work would be sorely disappointed in some of you exercising (laughs) vulnerability in some of your conversations, because I don't think that's actually what she meant. And it's not, oh, 
Uh, checking off my list today. Be vulnerable. Mm, okay, got to do that next. Gotcha. You know, it, vulnerability is so much about presence. It's about being present to something that is true for you in the moment that saying it is purposeful to that thing, even if your guarded version of yourself wouldn't prefer to share it. That it, But it's not the same as I'm going to share my emotional state in this room as the tick the box on I was vulnerable today. Um, so I think that's a challenge. But I also think, you know, we say the lowest form of pretense is lying to yourself. <laughs> and I think um, what you're both talking about where people can be a manipulative in sharing their emotions like that, I think they're not. I don't think most of the time they're actually conscious that they're being manipulative. I think it's a subconscious thing that's going on and they truly believe they're being vulnerable or that they're being authentic or that they're being true to themselves in some way or that it is appropriate. Um, and so a lot of this is about self-awareness. And just as we're having this whole conversation, I think it's important to call out that this is an uncommon way of operating in the world. <laughs> Just because we're saying the challenges of senior leadership, that does not mean that most senior leaders do this well, right? Well, I mean, you have you both have worked with a lot more than I have, but in my shorter career, I would say that it's a pretty small population that does all of this really, really well. And so taking it on is honorable, and it's hard work. So there's no sugarcoating that it's a very challenging thing for human beings to do. But most people in organizational life are not taking responsibility for their emotions. No. And they're leaving a wake of mess behind them. Well, I also think it's really important to, to be clear that we're also not saying always be positive, be happy, happy, joy, joy. Like there, and I think that's actually part of uh if you actually read all of Brene Brown's work, part of what she's saying is like, if you, if I have to walk in, by the way, conversant team listening to this, this is not true. This does not have to happen. If I have to walk in and lay some folks off, not happening. But if I do, <laughs> coming in and being happy or kidding about it is being in, is, is also, it's not, it's not true. What wouldn't be true to the moment. It would be disregarding their particular feelings in the moment. And so I think that's the other thing that leaders tend to do is they want to put a happy spin on things. Um, anybody who's ever seen the movie Up in the Air with George Clooney, there's a moment in there where, um, Anna Kendrick makes like makes this whole play for why the guy who's being laid off should be thrilled that he's being laid off. And George Clooney's character has to step in and go, wait, <laughs> right? Like this isn't like there is a moment for you in this to recognize an opportunity, but that doesn't have to mean you're happy about that, having that opportunity right now. Um, and so I think there a few years ago, the term toxic positivity made a whole lot of um uh, in the sort of common vernacular. And I think that's where that came from is people being like overly positive all the time. Like, no, there are going to be days where I, where the mood I have to bring is one of serious, right. Or focus, or this is not a happy moment. 
Amorosio and I were in one of those last year. Not a happy moment. And we have to, and we're going to be in it in a spirit of learning and appreciation for what is there for us to do different next time. That doesn't mean we're going to be overly joyed that we're having this conversation. And, and I think it returns to what you said earlier, Robin, about this challenge is a timing challenge. Mm-hmm. That, and if people are thoughtless about this, and I've we've had some senior leaders go, "Oh, I want everything to be positive." All right, there are some things happening. I don't think, I don't think that things, actually happens in the world. Sorry, yeah. uh-huh. there, there are things happening in your system that people want you to join them in a sober confront of what's going on. And then together, helping yourself be smart about addressing it. And Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean we have to be happy. Uh, So this idea of emotional leadership, I I just think, Amrose, per what you said a few minutes ago, the reason we wanted to talk about it is because it's not common. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not common, and I think largely because people aren't conscious of and thus can't be responsible for how their emotions impact the well-being and performance of other people. Mm-hmm. And if we just took that on, if the first thing was, okay, I'm going to have a month of noticing, and I'm going to get a couple of people I trust and my personal board of directors to help me notice how my mood is helping or hurting well-being and performance. If somebody just did that, then you start to get to a level of self-awareness that's the foundation for anything else that we've talked about. Because if you can't notice it, you actually can't do much about it. Uh, so it it is unusual. And I think important now that we're in this hybrid work environment, I find this more important than ever. Because if you're actually in the office with somebody and you have a moment and it's not good, and then you may run into them later and a cup of coffee and they're in a different mood and everything feels better. Or you have a chance to go, oh, gee, I'm sorry that I was kind of a curmudgeon in that meeting this morning. But when you're in a Zoom or Teams conference and somebody some way and then that thing's over, you don't have this natural running into each other as a way to have casual healing. <laughs> So I think there's more importance now that our emotional awareness and responsibility is really a part of being a leader. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't notice your own mood, I think you've got very little chance to actually pick up on somebody else's mood. And I think as a leader, that's the other part of this, which could be maybe a whole other conversation. But is noticing the mood in the room, noticing the mood of a colleague, noticing the mood of a partner and being and creating the space for them to say what's on their mind in that moment. But if you can't notice your own mood, I don't think you're going to notice somebody else's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know we're we're moving towards closing right now, but I wanted to just two more things really fast. So one, I do just want to mention that some of this is a well-being thing too and that um we are beings that have a nervous system and hormones and all these other things going on in our body that are reacting to a lack of sleep or that we ate like shit last week or it was the (laughs) holidays and I drank every day for 20 days straight or whatever the thing is right so there's also a 
component of are you caring for your capacity to even be emotionally agile that is increasingly, I think, needing to be part of the conversation because I think most of us are working at a disadvantage a lot of the time and we don't actually have those tools available to us to flip in as quickly as we would like to. Um, and then I have a question. So for the times that you can't w- let it go, flip it off. So in this this uh, idea of timing, what is your philosophy on saying, I am not in a place to have that conversation today. Let me get back to you. <laughs> or some version. It's- Again, I think there is an audience element to that, right? Like who sure. is who is that with? Yeah. Um, I can, uh, early in the pandemic, we were doing lots of work with a client that had a global sort of footprint. And so we were doing calls that would be late late in the day. And I remember one of them having to say to them, I'm, I apologize, I cannot give you my best thinking right now. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like, I didn't say what, well, all the things that were, I, I just found out I had COVID. I had just like all, I didn't want to get into all of that. I just said, can we reschedule? This is a really important conversation. I cannot possibly give you the think the best thinking that I need to have. So I think there's a variety of ways to do it, Emma Rose. And I think that there are moments when like, it is not the right moment for me to have that conversation. And if I cannot get myself there and I'm going to do more harm than good, it's I'm better served to say, and I don't have to be totally disclosive. I'm like, here's all the things that are happening. I can right. just say, I think I need a moment to actually process this information. And can we come back and talk about it? Right. Mickey, I don't know if you have a different point of view about that. And by the way, you can't, you can only do that one, like that's not an everyday, all the everything, no. all the time move that you can make. Cause as leaders, you've got to get fast enough on being able to recover. Um, and right. I think there are sometimes moments when I can't do it. I think that's true. And if you really take on cultivating your capacity for being emotionally agile, mm-hmm there should be fewer and fewer and fewer of those because sometimes the moment doesn't allow that. That's right. right. Yeah. And I, you know, what you said earlier, MROs, uh, it's profound, all the findings about how sleep affects your emotional agility. And so when you're talking about well-being, if you don't have good sleep, I would turn that into an urgent exploration. And who are you going to turn to and the experts you're going to talk to, what work you're going to do, because our physical well-being is deeply related to our emotional agility. Mm-hmm. So caring about capacity, like you said, I think is really, really important because mm-hmm. there are times when you just don't get to, you know, I, I'll say one personally and in a way kind of selfishly, I remember October 11th, 2012, I was on the way to the airport for the first meeting we were having with a senior executive of a global organization who's in charge of their North America operations about something that was really important to them and I was eager to help with. And the message I got on the way to the airport was that my doctor wanted me to know that his diagnosis for a series of tests I just had is that I had cancer. 
And as you know, the treatment of that was successful, the surgery was successful, and that was, you know, 2012, and so all is fine. But I remember going into the airport and being on the plane and treating that time like a place for me to really attend to whatever emotional state I'm in and really look at what's it time for when I get off the plane. And I picked one person to talk to to help me in my emotional agility, which was my sister, Judy. <laughs> and then stepped into the room as who those people needed for me to be in that two days. At the end of it, Emrose, I think my well-being was enhanced. In a way, I was just proud of myself. <laughs> that it wasn't time to talk about my medical condition. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, it just, something about it left me stronger, better, more ready to go back and have the conversations with the doctor and the family about what to do and how fast to do it. And so I think that the reason that that was available to me is I have taken care of myself physically. I do make sure I get sleep. Mm -hmm. And so I think as we end this, your kindness and cultivation of your own well-being is a part of this recipe. So thanks for bringing this up. Mm -hmm. I also think so is just being present to emotions, being conscious about how do I think those are going to affect people. Important to have your own personal board of directors around who will tell you the truth and you can tell the truth too about how your emotional impact is going. And in general, anything you do to start being more conscious of how your emotions actually can be a source of contribution, I think is an important journey for any senior leader to be on. Well, a great way to close, I think. Um, if you enjoyed the conversation, whether you liked us talking about the specific challenges of senior leadership or about emotional agility, let us know if you would like to hear more. Um, and until our next episode, we hope you stay well. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> and Agile. Goodbye. And Agile. <laughs> This episode was produced by Guy Connolly. Original artwork is by Dana Buckingham and music is by a cast of characters. Special thanks to Conversant's extended community who inspire the continued evolution of our work and stand with us in our commitment to change leadership, business, and the world through conversation. You can learn more about Conversant at www.conversant.com. On Connection is created and produced by the members of Conversant. Awakening the world to the power and joy of authentic human connection, we set a new standard for leadership that produces meaningful, enduring impact. Until next time.